Well, welcome this morning to worship. We're continuing our series on the kingdom of God. Kingdom Come is the name of the series. We will be continuing this up to Thanksgiving, and we'll have Advent. We'll have traditional uh, Christmas sermons during Advent. And I wanted to let you know a little bit about where we're going in the coming year. In January, we're going to do a State of the Church series. And that's going to be an important thing for us uh, for the coming year. I was in, uh, we, my wife and I did an around the world tour of duty yesterday. Uh, Emma had a choir concert in Lubbock, so we dropped her off. Then we went to Amarillo because that's where my wife's hair lady is. And <laughs> we, uh, I also had a meeting, a Wesleyan Covenant Association meeting, uh, which we, uh, we met and they're discussing where the denomination is going in the future, making plans for that. And so that will be an important part of the State of the Church address next year. We'll talk about the church finances. We want to talk about where the church has been. One thing I want you to put on your radar, some of you who might have some really good stories about our church, just that need to be told, we'd like to video that for January and maybe just kind of show a little two, three-minute video about this point, something in history that happened in our church that needs to be shared. And so we'd maybe like to do that before every sermon. So maybe be thinking about that, some stories about the church that need to be told. Uh, we would love to hear about those, capture them on video, and share them with the rest of the congregation. And so that'll be a part of it. And we'll also need to talk about where the church may be going and even where our church fits into that as our denomination maybe uh, has some changes in the coming year. So that's where we're going. We're going to continue our series uh, on the kingdom of God, kingdom come. And so I was actually handed a little poem this morning, and I, I thought it really fit, fit with our series, and I wanted to share it. Gary handed me this poem this morning. I wanted to share it with you. It's called For Want of a Nail. I kind of like poems, you know. Uh, sometimes they say things that are just profound, make us think about things differently. Here's how this poem goes. It's a very old poem. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost, and all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Now, I read that this morning. Gary handed it to me, and I had no idea what it meant. And so I Googled it. Isn't that what we do nowadays when we don't understand something? I Googled for one of a nail, and come to find out, this is a very ancient poem, and it did pertain to literal battle. Uh, kings would go to battle, and the horse was a critical part of that. And basically, the moral of the story is, it's the small things. It's the small things that make a big difference. And so I was talking with Gary, and he shed some light on it, uh, some further light on it for me. And his point was that he made to me was how every person's role and part is important. You know, a lot of times people slip into the mindset of thinking that when it comes to a topic like the kingdom of heaven, it is a grand topic. It is a big topic. I would say it's the ultimate topic of Scripture. And it's a lot of times we slip into thinking that we are a very insignificant part of the story. 
And I would say back to that, that you might be a small part of the story, but you are not an insignificant part of the story. It is the small things that make a big difference. And so that's one thing I want to keep in mind as we go through this series. It's a big topic. The kingdom of heaven, as we've discussed, is primarily about the king, the coming king, Jesus. It's about God's plan to glorify Jesus Christ and his leadership on the earth. The topic is about the land. It's about planet earth and God's plans for our planet. And it is about us. It's about the people, the king, the land, and the people. Those are the three big topics of scripture and the kingdom of heaven. And every one of us plays an important role in that. And I would say that I like the idea as we're going forward of telling, you know, as a church where we've been, our history. It's important that we tell our our story about what we're doing. We did a good job of that today, didn't we? You know, there's a lot going on at our church. There's a lot our church is doing in our community. It's important that we're in touch with and we tell the story of how we're partnering with God to make an impact on the earth here and now. But it's also important, church, It's an important part of our story that we know and understand where we're going as well. The the gospel is the whole story. It's not just about what happened in the past. It's not just about what we're doing here and now. It is also about where we're going. You don't have the story until you have the whole story. And so we're continuing to work on that together. If you want to turn with me in scripture, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 2. Continuing the topic, the kingdom of God. Actually, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 1. Sorry. I'm going to start in verse 3. Think about this. Jesus is meeting with his disciples right before he leaves the planet, physically leaves the planet. And he's having a final meeting period. Maybe you could even call it a, uh, an extended conference, a semester with his disciples before he leaves. And let's look at the topic that he's focused on. His last time on the earth with with his disciples. Let's look at the topic that he's focused on as he prepares to leave. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now think about that, church. Jesus has spent a lot of time with his disciples over the three years that he's been with them and training them on the earth. And his last thing he wants to talk about with his disciples before he leaves, and it's not an insignificant amount of time, 40 days, about a month and a half, Jesus spends with his disciples in his resurrected body, proving that he's alive, Now, guys, pay attention. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. 
do you think that was an important topic on the mind and the heart of God before he left the planet and left everything in the hands of the men that he, men that he trained, he wanted to spend 40 days teaching them in great detail about the kingdom of God. This is an important topic to Jesus. Let's look at what he says. <clears throat> Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. It's a specific place. It's a city. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now think about this, church. They're saying something important. You realize Jesus' disciples, Jesus was a Jewish man. Everybody understands that, right? He's still a Jewish man. His disciples were Jewish men. Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom for 40 days. He's about to leave. And this is the question his disciples ask. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And so let me be interpretive here to us. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to us? They're excited about what they've been learning from Jesus. They've been learning it for 40 days. He's been painting a picture for them. And they're like, oh my gosh, we can't wait. Are we, can we have it now? And of course, Jesus says this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Let me, let me again be interpretive. You guys don't need to worry about that right now. Let me be interpretive. He's not rebuking them for asking the question. He's not correcting them. You didn't understand me right. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, you don't need to worry about that right now. Here's what you need to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry about the time this is going to happen. Here's what you need to worry about. Go and do what I told you to do. Go and wait on the promised gift of my Holy Spirit. Then you will have power to go and be my witnesses to all the ends of the earth. We've got a job to do until that time comes. We have a job to do. And job number one isn't to go and do. It's to go and wait. Listen, Methodists. We are a doing people, aren't we? Can I get an amen? We love to do. We love to get busy. We love to go and do ministry. We love to be seen in the community. That's all, all fine and good. Many times, we love that great commission. 
Go into all the world and be my witnesses. But we don't like to wait. I'm preaching better than y'all are saying amen. We don't, we don't always love to go and wait. It's an important part of the process. Jesus gave us the Great Commission, something to do. And Jesus also gave us this directive. We love to uphold the Great Commission. We love, don't we? Go and wait. Get something from God. Get an impartation. Get a breakthrough. Get some power so that when you go, you'll be effective whenever you do. And you'll make an impact on the world around you. That's actually a different sermon. We'll, we'll come back to that some other day. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. You guys believe that? Sometimes the scripture calls us to look at some things that are hard to wrap our minds around, aren't they? Sometimes the scripture calls us to look at some things and consider some things. And again, we love to focus on the things, the crazy parts of scripture that we're comfortable with a lot of times, don't we? And we like to underemphasize and ignore other parts of scripture that are difficult to understand. But how many of you know, church, it's all important, isn't it? Sometimes it's the small things, it is the details that are important. Let's keep reading, verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus literally left the planet. These men are saying he will literally return to the planet in the same body in which he left the planet. Let's look at the next verse. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Now that last verse there is an important verse. Because if you're like me, my, my mind tends to wonder, I wonder what Jesus was talking about over those 40 days. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall? Hearing what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of heaven. Hey, guys, you have a part to play in this. And getting excited about it, it's like, oh, do we get it now? No, don't worry about that right now. But I, I love this story. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of heaven, I would just love to know specifically what he was saying because the New Testament just leaves a lot of things blank, a lot of questions unanswered about the kingdom of heaven. And so we fill in the blanks a lot of time with our own fanciful ideas. And a lot of it kind of the end result is kind of like a Walt Disney fairy tale. And so I wonder, I wonder what Jesus was talking about. I can't help but think there was a clue left for us in that last, last verse there. Jesus 
a Jewish man will forever be a Jewish man and also God at the same time, left the planet in a body. The angels or the, the men say he'll return in the same way that he left the earth. And the text wants to make sure we know it was the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So I can't help but think that Jesus finishes his 40-day lecture series on the kingdom of heaven. Then he looks over to his disciples. They're in Jerusalem. He says, hey, guys, let's go for a walk. Sabbath day's walk, about a half a mile, not that far, outside the city. Let's go for a walk. This is his last lesson that the text leaves us on the topic of the kingdom of heaven. It says he goes to the Mount of Olives, and he says, see you guys. Last lesson. A careful observer of Scripture, and many of your Bibles will say this, is an important reference in the Old Testament. Book of Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. We don't pay much attention to those books in the church, do we? We don't pay much attention to those prophet guys anymore. Here's the problem with that. We want to understand the topic of the kingdom of heaven and what God has planned in the future. You cannot understand that topic unless you understand those books. Those books have very important clues about what Jesus may have been teaching his disciples over that 40 days. And just to remind us, Jesus says, hey guys, let's go for a walk. He goes to the Mount of Olives and he leaves. Can we pull on that string just a little bit this morning? Let's go to the book of Zechariah. <laughs> let's pull on this string just a little bit this morning. Now, these books, many of us don't read them because they're difficult to understand, and they are difficult to understand. And so as we approach a book like Zechariah, we need to understand what we're reading. The book of Zechariah is an Old Testament prophet. And so it is a part of a genre or category of Scripture called prophecy. Now, a lot of times we lump books like Revelation into books like Zechariah, and that's not necessarily the case. Those are actually two separate genres of Scripture. Revelation would be what we call uh, apocalyptic literature. That's distinct from prophetic literature. And so apocalyptic literature is different. It's, it's comprised of things like dreams and visions. It's uh, highly symbolic in nature. And so it requires a lot of imagination to try and figure out what it might be communicating. Prophetic literature is actually quite different from that. Prophetic literature is actually a lot more straightforward. And so usually in the Old Testament prophets, the prophet will kind of speak to the nation and the people of the nation. Hey, guys, here's what God has to say. You're getting it wrong. And if you're going to get it right, here's what you need to do. Oh, and the reason you guys need to pay closer attention to what God is saying is because here's where he's going. And the picture that he has painted for us and planned for us is amazing. So let's get on the ball together because we want to arrive at this place together one of these days. And that's kind of, in a, in a nutshell, kind of the message of the prophets. And so I want to look at a few of those in the book of Zechariah. We're going to be reading from Zechariah. <clears throat> we'll be reading from chapter 14. 
I just want to give you one example of how we're going to interpret Zechariah 14 because we have an example in previous verses about prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus. Now, everybody, I think you understand there are two comings of Jesus, the king, to his territory, the planet, with his people, resurrected Old Testament and New Testament saints. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus. I want to read to you one of them from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. I'm sure most of you will be familiar with this. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'm guessing many of you are familiar with that verse of Scripture, right? Because Matthew quotes it in chapter 25 as Jesus, a real person in history, is literally riding a donkey as he goes to Jerusalem before he gets convicted falsely of a crime, tortured, and executed, right? So it is this verse that Matthew quotes to say, this is that. Jesus literally fulfilled this prophecy that was written several several hundred years before it actually happened. A literal man fulfilled it literally at some point in history. Are you with me? Now, there are many examples in Zechariah of this same thing. Uh, the, The idea that... God was sold for 30 pieces of silver. You'll find that in Zechariah. Well, guess what? That literally happened. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? The idea that the Son of Man or the coming king would be pierced literally happened in history, in the person of Jesus Christ. He was pierced in multiple ways on the cross. He was pierced with a crown of thorns. He was pierced with a spear in his side. So this is just to go to show you. Zechariah uh, lists all of these things. We interpret them literally to have been fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus. Now, are we all on the same page, church? So as we begin to read Zechariah and what he has to say about the second coming of Jesus... Why should we interpret those verses any differently? I would propose to you that we shouldn't. We should read those chapters and those verses the exact same way we read the others. Are you with me? I say all that to say this. Zechariah chapter 14. I'm going to start reading to you in verse 3. This is what the Lord revealed to the prophet Zechariah about the second coming of Jesus. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand where? The same place he left from, isn't it? The Mount of Olives. The exact same place he left from. Zechariah predicts Jesus will fulfill that literally. 
just like those two angels in Acts chapter 2 said. Let's skip down to verse 6. On that day, there will be no light, nor cold, nor frost. I mean, you know it's a good time of year to say a big hearty amen together. On that day, there will be no light, no cold, or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime. In case you wonder about that, if you read Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22, it will tell you the exact same thing. It's not an accident that those things are found in Revelation. They're to point us back to things in the Old Testament that it has to say about the coming kingdom of heaven. A day known to the Lord, when evening comes, there will be light. It's always going to be light because God, we're told in Revelation, is the one who lights the kingdom of heaven. Verse 8, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Again, that's an idea that's repeated in places like Ezekiel, Revelation. Half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea in the summer and in the winter, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. Now, I have no idea what Arabah is, but I'm going to just guess here, church. Probably a pretty nice place. Just my guess. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place from the Benjamin Gate to the side of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the royal winepress. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem, a specific place on the planet, will be secure. Skip down to verse 14. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up to take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of those who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, Holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses. The cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judea will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. It will be pure. It will be unified. Everyone will be on the same page. Everyone will be moving in the same direction. Now, there are some important implications 
of those passages that we should be mindful of. In the coming kingdom of heaven, God has a plan for the planet that he will execute as a Jewish man from a specific place on the planet. He has a plan to renew the earth in righteousness. That is to get everyone on the planet on the same page, following the same agenda, operating under the same principles. He has a plan to do that that will involve a process. There will be a process by which he does this, and it will be a process greatly enhanced by the supernatural power and ability of God. But it will be a process nonetheless. The land will be transformed. The land will produce amazing results. The leadership of Jesus will make life good for everyone, and he has a plan for all of the nations. The nations continue to exist. Here's an important implication we can draw from that church. Different nations, different people groups continue to exist and work together in order to make life good for everyone. What does that tell you? Kind of like right now, huh? Different nations and different people groups need to learn to work together in order to make life good for everyone. Guess what? Even now, we're practicing. This is a good training ground. How many of you know La Mesa, Texas is a good training ground? for the kingdom of heaven. This is where we're going. God have, has us here on this planet specifically to be training to partner with him in his eternal projects forever. Now, the picture that was painted for us isn't a picture of eternity. It's an, it's an interval of time, a long interval of time, where underneath the leadership of Jesus, he is preparing the planet for Revelation 21, which is heaven, God the Father, coming down to the earth to live with us. And that city that is being built now is what most people typically think of as heaven, and it is real. Streets of gold, right? Pearly gates, all that stuff. That's all real and good. But the planet has to be prepared for that city to come and live on this earth with us because without holiness, it says in the book of Hebrews, without holiness... No one's going to see God. And so church, that's what we're doing even now. We together are growing and training in godliness. That is our number one job description. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. We're learning to do that together. Because if we don't get that right, guess what? We'll never have heaven. Love is the number one priority of the kingdom of heaven. We're learning to grow and train in that now. We're learning to do that together with all kinds of different peoples, even different denominations, people who think differently from us. We're all learning to do that together here and now. And it's really important to God because guess what? That game plan is going to continue for a really long time. And we won't really have heaven 
in the way that most of us think about it until we partner with Jesus in getting that right. Every person owning their part in this agenda, there are no small parts. There are no insignificant people. There are no insignificant job descriptions. Every person has their part to play. Amen? Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. And we just declare that we submit our wills, our minds, and our hearts to your word. We submit to learning it. We submit to training in it. We submit to growing in it. It is very important to you and your future plans and purposes for us and your present plans and purposes for us. And so we are just grateful that you're so patient with us, that you give us time to walk out these principles, these concepts. Thank you for being long-suffering and patient because most of us are very resistant to your leadership. I can speak of that certainly of myself. So, Father, we're just grateful that you give us opportunities all the time you give us opportunities to partner with you in what you want to do. Father, I just pray that you would help us to tell your story better. Not just the past story, not just the present story, but the future story. We need to know your story. That is the gospel. You want that message spread. So, Father, we thank you that you just continue upgrading our ability to partner with you in all of the ways that you want to partner with us and and all the things that you want to do with us. We just say yes to it together as a church. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us in thought of our